Well, good morning, everyone.
the protective nature of the word? No. The protective nature of the word, no. In a world of instant gratification, it's hard to talk about delayed gratification and the benefits that come with it. In a world that emphasizes self-care and me first, it's hard to talk about discipline and denial and focusing on others instead of myself or oneself. We're living in strange times. And yet, they're not so strange. Since the fall of man into sin, our desires turn inward. Our passions become distorted. Our view of reality becomes skewed. How we need a word of truth and ears to hear it. And Jesus came as the embodiment in truth. In fact, he is the truth of God incarnated. And so in recent weeks, we've been looking at what he has to say in his famous Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, he has been showing us what this greater righteousness will look like that he has brought in with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he teaches us how to live under that lordship and under that controlling power. And so we've been looking at how he has been teaching us about three important disciplines of the Christian life. Giving, praying, and fasting. And in the proper practice of these disciplines, we can find blessing as they give honor to the Lord. But it comes down to the matter of the human heart. And as you've heard me say, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. When the heart is attuned to God and to his ways, what we do in prayer and giving and fasting will be honored. But when we give in to the temptation, however subtle it might be, to do these things so that they are seen by others, they end up being of little use. Well, we spent a couple of weeks looking at the first two of these disciplines, namely prayer and giving. And today we're going to look at the third one, fasting. And in our passage, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about the fasting that heaven rewards. And so, with that as our introduction, I invite you to stand as we read God's holy word, and then as we heed what he has to say to us through it. And the beautiful and truthful word of God says, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let us pray. Father, in the reading of your word, we recognize that it is a gift that comes from you, full of truth and yet full of grace and mercy. So instruct us in these moments. Father, we know that unless the Spirit of God is at work in our midst, banishing, distracting thoughts from our hearts and minds, unless the Holy Spirit is anointing and empowering the word, this is just an exercise. But Father, we want it to be an offering of praise to you. And so give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to rejoice and wills that will bend to your will and do it willingly. Thank you that we can trust you. Guide us in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now it's been a few weeks since we last looked at Matthew 6. And so let's review quickly what we've seen thus far. 
Jesus, when he's talking on the issue of giving, says, don't give in such a way that you to be seen by others. In fact, he, go, he goes so far as to say, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Not something that's literally possible, but it's the idea that the intention of the heart is that we're doing it for the glory of God. It's not always possible not to be seen giving. In fact, spiritual leaders are to model certain things of the, of the Christian life. And so, in fact, they will be seen giving. So will, so will you and your family as you nurture your children and your grandchildren. But the intent of the heart is to be doing it for the pleasure of God. When we're talking about, when Jesus was talking about praying, he warns us not to be actors, which is literally the word behind the word hypocrite, where you just play a part or serve a role. Don't do that, Jesus says. Moreover, don't be babblers who think that through routine and repetition and high-flowered wordiness that somehow they can gain the ear of God. We said that God is always ready to receive and hear us. Rather, we're to pray according to the will and the ways and the words of God. He instructed us that in prayer we're to focus on three main things that deal with God. His holiness, his kingdom, his will. Our prayers should be motivated that his name would be glorified, that his reign and rule would come over all of creation, including over every aspect of our lives. For his will to be done. And as we're reminded in a simple prayer of a baseball player, Father, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And seeking him in his kingdom, after we have given reverence to God, Jesus says, well, then there are three main needs that we'll pray about for ourselves. The physical needs of bread and of daily needs. And in doing so, this teaches us to depend upon the Father for all things in our lives. And then we pray for our greatest spiritual need, which is the forgiveness of sins. And we saw that the fact of experiencing the mercy and grace of God and forgiveness empowers us then to forgive others in turn. For those who have been touched by the grace of God, how can they withhold that grace from others when we have received such a great mercy ourselves? And thirdly, we pray for spiritual protection and guidance Deliverance from the evil one who seeks to distract us and destroy us and to put us on a different path. And so in worshiping God first, we're able to offer our prayers in light of our rightful response to who he is. So that he will meet our needs as he has promised. Well, after teaching on these two important subjects, he now gets to the third discipline that he mentions in Matthew chapter 6. The idea of fasting. And it's appropriate because all throughout the scriptures we see that fasting and prayer often go together. But I think you'll agree with me, this is not a subject that we talk a lot about today. Perhaps there's a need for us to be refreshed in the teaching of what the Bible says about the nature and the role and the purpose of fasting. It's not something we can cover in one sermon. But thankfully Jesus, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, is going to keep bringing up subjects so we can go deeper step by step into them. But we're blessed this morning to have some words from our Savior to guide us in this important subject. So all of that, as way of introduction, we can get to the sermon outline that you find in your bulletin this morning. Where we get to our first major point, which is a biblical background of fasting. Fasting was a regular activity for the people of God in the Old Testament. We find biblical examples that shows that it was done publicly 
and a call for national repentance and seeking deliverance. It was done privately and seeking guidance. Particularly think of Hannah who was praying for a baby. But the goal in fasting is the seeking of God's face, whether in forgiveness and mercy, whether in deliverance and protection, whether in guidance and direction for the next steps to take. Fasting was done in the Old Testament during times of danger and times of mourning and times of preparation to meet with the Lord. We think of Moses who fasted on Mount Sinai as he was given the law from the hand of God. Or of King Jehoshaphat who, when the city of Judah was under siege, called for a time of prayer and fasting that they would be delivered from their enemies. Or Queen Esther who in exile with the people of God fasted when the Jews were under threat in the Persian Empire. Or the prophet Ezra, the teacher Ezra, who prayed for the protection of the people as they were returning from exile back to Jerusalem. They fasted and prayed for their protection. We even see an example of a up to that point unbeliever, King Nineveh, who responded to the preaching of Jonah with prayer and fasting and in repentance. And God responded with mercy and withheld his hand of judgment. But oftentimes we see that there were public signs of repentance, of confession of sin, of seeking God's face. Now the only time that fasting was clearly commanded by all the people is in Leviticus 16 and and 23, tied to the Day of Atonement, when the people were told to afflict themselves, deny themselves, seek the face of God, seek protection as they're moving towards the promised land, repent of their sins. Offer sacrifices, plead for the mercy of God. Now, one thing that was common to many of these moments of fasting in the Old Testament was that fasting was a communal activity. It was something that the people of God did together. They took part in together. Whereas in other cases, we see individual people fasting for particular needs in their own lives. That carries over into the New Testament where Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days at the beginning of his public messianic ministry. Time of fasting and prayer as he resisted the temptations of the devil as he prepared for what he would do as the Messiah. He was led by the Spirit of God into this this time of fasting and preparation. And he modeled for us what dependence upon the Father looks like. And as he depended upon the Father, then he's able to instruct us Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. The early church, at a few important moments, fasted and prayed. They prayed before sending out Paul and Barnabas as the first missionaries to go out from their church. Paul and Barnabas, for their part, fasted and prayed before appointing elders in the churches that they had planted. We even find the Roman centurion Cornelius fasting and praying. And then the Lord appeared to him in a vision and said, I will send Peter who will come and preach the gospel to you. And this unleashed the expansion of the gospel among the Gentiles. We could find many other examples, but hopefully this this gives us an idea of 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 why and how fasting was practiced throughout the scriptures. To quote Dr. J.I. Packer, he said, in scripture we see several purposes for fasting. It's part of the discipline of self-control. It's a way of sharing that we depend on God alone and draw all of our strength and resources from Him. It's a way of focusing totally on Him when seeking His guidance and help and of showing that you are really earnest in your quest 
It could be a time of expression of sorrow and repentance, something that a person or even a community will do in order to acknowledge their failure before God and to cry out for his mercy. I think you'll agree with me then that we see a precedence. We see examples of fasting in the scriptures. So as Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 6, he's not speaking to an audience that knew nothing about it. Rather, as he is doing in each step along the way, as he is teaching through the law, he's correcting bad behavior, he's correcting misunderstanding, and he's giving instruction in how to properly practice these disciplines. And so with that as our background for biblical fasting, let's get into what Jesus is actually teaching here, where he teaches first about wrongful fasting. Wrongful fasting. And when you fast, he said... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. As I said in the introduction, we're often really confused about the idea of food today. In fact, there are many who get their identity from their diets, from their exercise plans or their eating plans. And in all of that, eating disorders are even on the rise. Instead of interacting with people at times or participating in good activities, food becomes an escape from boredom becomes a source of peace and comfort. We've even expressed, have an expression, comfort food. Paul, we need to be instructed on how to rightly understand the blessing that is food. We need to continue to pray according to the wisdom that is given us in the scriptures. In Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9, we receive wise counsel. Two things I ask of you, the writer asks of God, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give us this day our daily bread. And as God provides, he gets the honor. He gets the glory. We get deeper fellowship with him. We need food. Food is one of those good blessings from God that he has provided for us. And we should be thankful for all that God has given us in food and drink. For in Christ, actually nothing is forbidden us except the excess of these things. Food is to be used properly. Its use or avoidance can both become an opportunity to puff ourselves up. But food is given to us for our good. And for his glory. And so as Jesus is warning us about the wrongful way of fasting, he says to avoid putting on a show. And when you fast, he says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The audience that would have heard these words from Jesus would know in part that he is warning them against being like the Pharisees who had turned their practice of fasting into a ritual, even making it a badge of pride and courage. Evidence from the first century shows that the Pharisees fasted twice a week, on Mondays and Thursdays. Their rationale was those were the days that Moses went up the mountain to receive the law. It just so happened that those were also the main market days of the week. And so... As they are fasting on those days, they could show 
that they were fasting on those days. Remember when we talked about prayer, how the hour of prayer would arrive and they would arrange to be in just the right places on the street corners so that they would be seen giving these eloquent prayers. Well, they go to the days when the people would be gathered and they would turn what should have been a, a pious practice of seeking God's face into a public performance of look at me. They would not groom themselves like they normally did. They would keep some type of unkempt appearance, which was a giveaway that they were fasting. We don't know exactly what it means, but I think we can understand when Jesus talks about them turning and twisting their face to show that there's some type of agony as they deprive themselves of food. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't put on a show for others to see you. And goes on to say, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If fasting is done just to draw the attention of others, to somehow earn their approval, or to somehow have others think highly of us, we miss the point. Because really settling for the praise of man is to settle for something that is pretty light and insignificant. And so in the practice of fasting, like in the practice of giving, like in the practice of prayer, the goal is to seek the face of God and his pleasure. My friends, if that's our goal, as we give, as we pray, as we fast, that will not be drudgery. It'll be a reward. In the words of one commentator, he says, fasting should be a time of genuine inner joy rather than of counterfeit outward pain. If it is something that is used for us to seek the face of God, to seek his will, to pour out our hearts to him, to fellowship with him, it is that time of inner joy rather than just an outward agony. The prophets Isaiah and Joel give examples of the types of fasting that are honoring to the Lord. It's not fasting that is done to satisfy one's own pleasures or to seek one's own gain. It is fasting that seeks the ways of the Lord that often is sacrificial for living out his righteousness in order to serve others. This is the opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. So before moving on to our next major point, I'd like to take some time this morning to talk about why should we fast. We've already gleaned some ideas from the scriptures themselves, but I think there's some practical things that we can look at that will help us. Because if our desire is to honor the Lord, if our desire is to grow in fellowship with him, let's look at some practical things that can help us. So why should we fast? If Jesus says that fasting is for today, and you'll notice that a couple of times he says, and when you fast, or but when you fast, then perhaps we should explore more its purposes and its goals. What does fasting do? Well, fasting denies the desire for immediate satisfaction. Fasting disciplines the body. It trains a person to see that God is our true source of life and satisfaction. Fasting can cleanse the soul. It can focus the mind. It takes our eyes off of our mere physical desires and moves them to our deeper spiritual needs. So in fasting... We seek fellowship with God. We seek his face. We want to know his will. We want to hear his answers to our prayers. And so fasting is not done to force the hand of God to do something. Fasting is the proper recognition of who we are and who he is. And so fasting is humbling ourselves before God 
and confessing our need of him. Now, we may see fasting as a sacrifice. And when we talk about it, we say, oh, it's too difficult. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. I took encouragement myself this week from reading what some of the Puritans had to say about fasting. The Puritans were this movement of God that was used by his spirit to continue to bring reformation to church starting over 300 years ago. And the Puritans spoke of fasting as a privilege of having one's hunger satisfied in God, fulfilled in God. And so they spoke of fasting not as a physically sacrificial event, but as a soul-fattening exercise. I love that. That's been a challenge on my heart always. Do I desire that my soul become fattened? And if that's one of what I desire, then I want to be in the Word more. I want to pray more. I want to let God know that He is truly my satisfaction, my sustenance. And if we see fasting in that way, we may be inclined to want to be involved in it. We'll see it less as a sacrifice and more as an instrument for cleansing our souls, cleansing our hearts, that we would be pure before God, who is holy, holy, holy. In his book, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says, It is sobering to realize that the very first statement Jesus made about fasting dealt with the question of motive. To use good things for our ends is always a sign of false religion, he said. Fasting must always focus on God, who God initiated and God ordained. In fasting, we have the opportunity to learn in a deeper way the truth of Matthew 4.4. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we see it that way, as a soul-fattening exercise where our hunger is satisfied in God, we can see fasting as feasting. Feasting on the goodness of God, feasting on his word, feasting on the intimacy we can have through his spirit. So what are some reasons I would commend to you to consider fasting in your own life? Well, first of all, fasting follows the model of Jesus. As we saw that he began his messianic ministry with fasting for 40 days, modeling dependency completely on the Father, which he had to do to fulfill all righteousness. So in fasting then, we can follow the example of our Lord of being dependent upon the Father. Fasting trains us to not be slaves to our appetites and passions. Fasting actually elevates us to a higher level of dignity because after all, we're not merely animals. We're humans created in the image of God. Therefore then, with the gifts that we have been given, the talents that we have been given, the bodies that we have been given, we learn by the Spirit's disciplining power to tame and channel and use properly the passions that we all have. Fasting can be used of God to help break habits in thought, word, and deed that might creep up in our lives. It teaches us to not be slaves to our appetites and passions, but to bring them into conformity to the Lordship of Christ. Fasting teaches us to feed our hunger for God. It is not, it is often not the devil that keeps us from God. It is often our love for things, our desire for pleasures that keep us from God. And so how do we do away with one pleasure? We replace it with another. 
And therefore, then, we see in the Psalms, it says, in your presence are pleasures forevermore. And so we can exchange, then, the short-term pleasures of this world for the eternal pleasures that we can have in God. We can learn more deeply that Jesus truly is the bread of life. He truly is our life. He truly is our greatest delight. Fasting frees us from the cares and riches of the world. For those cares and riches of the world can actually imprison us if we don't see them from the proper perspective. And so fasting then gives us an opportunity to increase our desire for the things of God over against the things of the world. Fasting can be used of God to grow our desire for holiness to Him, for obedience to His Word, for humility in serving Him, for recognizing that my life is not my own. It is His to use for His glory. Fasting moves us to set apart time for seeking God in prayer. We've already seen that prayer is one of the ways we develop our relationship with God. So as we set aside times for fasting, it is not to fill it with other activities. It is to fill it with prayer so that we're expressing our heart to God, seeking his face and his will. My friends, do you love God? Do you love God? Do you desire him? Do you want to grow in him? Do you want to know him more than you knew him yesterday? Do you want to obey him more than you did last week? Do you want to be more led by his spirit than you've been in the past? If we've learned to love God and walk with God and be with his people in this life, we will be ready to continue doing the same in the next. But what if we really don't desire God? What if we really don't love God? What if we really don't love God's people? What does that say about us in this life and in the life to come? And lastly, fasting grows our sense of community, both with the Lord and with each other. As we learn to depend upon the Lord, we recognize that often the way he meets our needs is through the blessings, talents, and gifts that he has given other members of the body of Christ. And so we learn to be interdependent as we are all dependent upon him. And just as there is a role for corporate prayer, just as there is a role for corporate giving, I think there's a role for corporate fasting in addition to all of these things being done on an individual basis. I commend this list to you to look over this week with your Bibles open and see if maybe you can discover more things that you can share with us. What are some good reasons why we should be those who fast? But Jesus has just let, led us to see the wrongful way of fasting. So let's get to the rightful way of fasting. Rightful fasting. It is true that there can be different types of fasting. There can be fasting away from food, from food and water, for a meal or two or a day or two. But for some people, it might need to be something else. Perhaps they're in a medical condition where they shouldn't abstain from food or water, but they should abstain from technology. They should abstain from television or their phones. They should abstain from these other things that are drawing them away from Christ. What is it that's holding back you from going deeper with the Lord? In fasting, we tell the Lord that he is our priority. What's holding you back? Is it a hobby? Is it a habit? Is it a form of entertainment? 
couple weeks ago, as I said, we had the chance to be at family camp, and I had the blessing. I didn't realize it at first, but I had the blessing of having no cell service the whole weekend. And I have to confess, the first couple of hours, that rankled me. And then when I put the phone down, couldn't get a text message, couldn't get a phone call. I could just enjoy the saints that were there, sitting around the campfire, playing games, laughing, singing. It was a blessing. It taught me I'm a little too addicted to my phone. And I need to start practicing some period of fasting away from my phone. What's holding you back in your relationship with the Lord? Rightful fasting, according to Jesus, is to be joyful and pure. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your, faith, your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, Jesus has said, but when you give, he said, but when you pray, and now he says, but when you fast. And he says, do it for the Lord, for his honor. I, we don't know exactly the cleansing ritual, the washing rituals that they had. So we'll just say for our application for today would be just make your appearance as normal and clean as possible. And carry on with your activities as you have this fellowship with the Lord going on in your heart. You're not fasting for others to see. You're fasting for the Lord that you might grow in your relationship with him. But how do we do that? What are some practical ways then that we can fast? Notice Jesus twice said, when you fast, and when you fast, but when you fast. Just like he said, but when you pray, and when you pray, but when you give, and when you give. There's a certain level of expectation that this will happen and will be used as a means to draw closer to him. So here are a few thoughts. We fast regularly. Now this is just simply taking from the parallel that's in the passage. We would all agree that we are to pray regularly. We all agree that we would give regularly. Now it's going to look different for each person and it's going to look different for each discipline. But if there is at all a parallel here, then we should be fasting on some type of regular basis. We should be fasting prayerfully. In the examples that we showed all throughout the scriptures, prayer and fasting often go together, setting aside time to deny our instant gratification, our instant de desire for lunch, and lunch on the Lord through his word and draw closer into him. To take that time to confess sins, to let him reveal stuff that's rooted in our hearts that needs to come out. We're to, we're to fast secretly. Do it for God's eyes. Now, I would make the case that we can fast corporately, and I think over the next year we will introduce times where we do that as we pray for specific needs, serious needs, drawing closer to the Lord. But it is still done to gain God's ear and for his glory, not to push our own per private agendas. I believe we pray or we fast humbly. It's not done just as a system of self-justification or self-imposed rules of righteousness. It's just a revelation that we are weak, but he is strong. That we are needy, but he is able. That we are the ones who need to beg his favor. We're not doing him any favors. We're his servants. He's our master. 
And then lastly, I would say we need to pray determinedly, our fast determinedly. Because I can guarantee you what's going to happen. Maybe it's already circulating in your mind. You're thinking about, well, how can I fast? I'm going to get hungry. And it's right at that point as you're starting to fast. Man, it's amazing how attractive a cheese sandwich becomes in your mind. And it's at that point you have to realize, no, my hunger is for God. You take advantage of that moment to confess to God, I need you. You're my satisfaction. You're my fulfillment. And even if we experience a bit of physical discomfort, it's a way for us to engage in that spiritual battle that will allow our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love God even more. And so I promise you, when you set aside time to fast, the weird and dumb thoughts are going to start going across the screen of your mind. And this becomes an opportunity then for you to discipline your thinking, to channel your passions, to channel your desire and say, oh God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us what we need, Father. It puts us in that place of proper dependency upon him. Of course, there's more that could be said. We'll grow in this and our understanding as we move through the gospel according to Matthew. I look forward to how the Lord's going to continue to challenge and mold me as I need him to do. And I pray that it will be the same for all of us. The wrongful way, the rightful way, we conclude briefly with the last point, seeing and rewarding. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So it's a reminder again that our only real goal in our service is for him to see us. And as we fast and as we seek his face and as we want him to look upon us, we affirm the truths, we experience the truths, we delight in the truths that say man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I remind you that we serve ultimately an audience of one. And if we serve him well, we will serve his people well. Pastor John Piper says, faster is either a religious rite you feel compelled to do to be seen by men to feed your pride, or it is a spiritual discipline you desire to do to be seen by God who will feed your soul. As we fast, as the Spirit leads us, he who sees all will give the proper reward. There are over two dozen passages in the New Testament that talk about working for rewards. Yet it is only done as we please the Lord in the ways that he has given that we will receive rewards. And even then, whatever rewards we receive, it's in humble recognition that ultimately it was all spirit-led and spirit-empowered. And so when we appear before him, we're going to lay it all down anyway at his feet and say, to you alone be the glory forever. But don't you want to have something to offer him? Don't you want your life to have mattered? have impacted others for the kingdom yes all led by the spirit but what a joyful offering that will be when we gather around the throne and we lay down our crowns and our jewels and all our rewards and we say you alone O lamb of god are worthy throughout matthew chapter 6 jesus reminds us that the father rewards his children whether in giving, who do it his way, whether in prayer or giving or fasting. But keep in mind that the reward is God himself. 
more fellowship with God, deeper intimacy with God, greater knowledge of his word, greater joy in serving him, answers to prayers. And as we do these things in God's way, we will see then this greater righteousness that Jesus said will come from those who are in the kingdom of heaven, who will do things according to God's way and show that the gospel is transforming. So we need to remind ourselves that fasting is not done to gain heaven. But because heaven has already been gained through the righteousness of Christ, fasting is done to praise heaven and to receive blessing from the Lord. Now as we continue to move through the Sermon on the Mount next week, over the next couple of weeks, Jesus is going to turn to the idea of treasures and how to properly see them and how to properly use them and how to properly understand them in light of the holiness of God and his kingdom. And I think there's much that we will learn as our Lord Jesus challenges us. But what are some lessons that we can learn from today's lesson? Well, since fasting is ex an expected part of the Christian life, we will trust the Lord to teach us how to fast in ways that honor him. And I invite you to join me on that journey. There's a lot that I have to learn on this subject, as I think we all do, because it's often neglected. And so let's grow and learn together. As the Spirit leads and empowers us, we will fast in a way to know God more deeply. As prayer is a way of growing our relationship with the Lord so is fasting. But thirdly, because fasting is a challenge for us, we will depend upon the Lord to guide and empower our times of fasting so that it truly is all about fellowship with him, intimacy with him. And as we fast and pray, and as we are the humble ones, and as we are the needy ones, and as we are the servants we ask the Spirit to lead us to confess our sins, to repent from our wicked ways, and to seek His will and His way. I love the Lord Jesus, and I love that He loves us so much. And He says, I want you to become like me. And He's going to do whatever it takes to lead us to that point, and that will include the discipline that He has given in Matthew 6. Let's pray together. Lord, in the quiet recesses of our hearts, we know we have a lot to learn. And in light of the holiness of your spirit and your word, we recognize, oh, there's so much more growth that could take place in our lives. But we begin, Father, with the song that you led us to sing, our hope is found in nothing less in Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so because we're in Christ, we know that we are accepted. But now, Father, you desire to continue to bring that transforming effect. So would you continue to do the work in our lives that only you can do? Lead us to greater repentance, greater obedience, greater love, greater joy in our service for you. You have spoken to us during this time, Father, because we have heard your word. Now give us the strength to carry out the things that you mentioned to us and showed us. That we might serve you well this week for your glory and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Reflect on that command and challenge. 
uh, to, to be fasting before the Lord. May this closing hymn just be in our hearts and minds this week as we sing, Take My Life and Let It Be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Sorry, I'm Carrie. I'm a little bit off from what you're doing. <laughs> Try that again. Go ahead. Go ahead. Start us out. Life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move. At the impulse of thy love, take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee, swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let them sing always only. great time fellowshipping with one another during the fellowship time and over the next day or so as we celebrate the, the blessings and bounty that we have of being citizens of this country may we recognize that our true freedom comes in christ the kingdom that we will serve and live in forever now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Let us go in peace. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.